Hey guys, Anthony here, and I just wanted to give you a big biohack thank you for listening. I'm so humbled and grateful that you're spending some of your day with me and the Biohacking Secrets Show. And if you get any value from this episode, or you've gotten value from previous episodes, it would mean the world if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this episode with your friends, family members, and coworkers on social media. That way we can continue to spread this information and positively impact as many lives as possible. And it's also how our podcast gets discovered by more people. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. This is your life and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are breakfast. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. What's up, biohackers? I've got an awesome episode for you today. It's a special storytime edition episode, and it's actually part three of a series that many of you have been following called The Most Dangerous Technology Ever Invented. Now, if you want to listen to this episode as a standalone episode, there, there will still be a lot of nuggets, but I highly recommend if you haven't listened to part one and part two, Go back and listen to those first. You can find them just as part one, the most dangerous technology ever invented, et cetera, et cetera. And this episode is going to be interesting for a few reasons, not the least of which I spent the last four days doing a juice fast with my man, Nick, who owns High Vibe Superfood Juicery here in Chicago. They've got two locations, one downtown and uh, one on, on Ashland. And it was a fantastic experience. I felt super productive. I was doing like six-minute ice baths every day, 25-minute red light bath. I hit a couple 45-minute saunas. But at the end, <laughs> I just broke my fast with, can you guess, a giant Italian beef from Portillo's and next to me, I have my second tequila cocktail mixed with Bragg Organic Apple Cider Vinegar Refreshers, which is like a prebiotic drink that uh, this one's ginger lemon honey flavor. And, uh, and then I put a splash of sparkling Mountain Valley spring water in there. And uh, I'm going to be enjoying that as we enjoy this episode together. So... Um, what else is there? We've got the Ultimate Biohacking Experience 2022. That's going down in April. You can learn more about that by going to biohackingweek.com. Uh, if you're interested, fill out an application and grab a time for us to talk. We'll see if you're a fit for the event. We're limiting it to like 20 guys, which is what we normally do. So it's a, a very intimate, intense bonding experience where we share the the latest from science, nature, and technology and making your, you know, and optimizing mind, body, and spirit, getting your brain to work as good as it can, getting your body dialed in, getting you in the best shape of your life and, and making that whole process easier, like making your funnel more efficient so that, you know, there's people that like can look really good with their clothes off, but they're doing an hour of cardio in the morning. They're doing an hour of weights in the afternoon. They're doing that five days a week. They're watching. That's like, that's exhausting, especially when you're like over the age of 22. Nobody wants to do that. 
what biohacking does and what we teach is is how to find the leverage points and the levers. So how to get the most out of the least amount of effort. I don't want to be working out all day. I'm coming up on my 40th birthday. I still feel great. I'm really happy with everything. And like I plan on hitting 40 in the best shape of my life. But I certainly don't want to be working out two hours a day. That's ridiculous. You know what I mean? That's some like Jersey Shore GTL. (laughs) What is that? Gym, tan, laundry. I don't even know. (laughs) I watched a couple episodes in college. I'm not going to lie. Um, but yeah, no one wants to be doing that. So how do you really like when you're, when you're a busy businessman, how do you get the most out of your time while still enjoying your life, while still being present and connecting with the people that you care about and surrounding yourself with a tribe of like-minded men who you can make business deals with, who can lift you up, who can hold you accountable. That's what the ultimate biohacking experience is about. And we're going to be covering uh, a masterclass on peptides, the best peptides for upgrading your brain, helping you burn more fat, build more muscle, recover faster. We're going to be doing a special cheat codes uh, training which is like our 12-week program that involves zero exercise. How do you completely transform your body? Yes, putting on muscle and burning fat without doing any exercise. We're going to be covering that at the Ultimate Biohacking Experience and much, much more. And it's going down in Western North Carolina uh, on our 60-acre homestead. It's just a magical forest, an enchanting place to be. If you want to learn more about that, go to Biohacking Week. Dot com, fill out the short form or send me a text at 847-989-3743. I'm sure there was other stuff I was supposed to cover, but given the state of the union, we're going to dive in. So here we are. It is part three of the most dangerous technology ever invented. The title of this episode, cell phones are not here to stay. Now, normally with storytime episodes, I wait till the end and then I tell you who wrote it. Um, but because that's already been revealed in some of the previous episodes, this is by Arthur Fistenberg, who is the author of one of my favorite books, The Invisible Rainbow. If you haven't read it, go get it right away. Pick it up on Amazon. It is, I mean, you'll you'll tear through it. It's a voracious read. I don't know if that even works, but they usually say I'm a, I'm a voracious reader, uh, but you'll rip through it. It's fascinating. It'll open your mind up to a lot of things, and uh, it parallels a lot of what was covered in Dr. Thomas Cowan's book, The Contagion Myth. And uh, this is a series that Arthur Fistenberg has released on his uh, for his newsletter subscribers. So if you want, and I highly encourage you to subscribe to Arthur Fistenberg's newsletter as well. And having said all of that, let's dive in to part three of the most dangerous technology ever invented. Cell phones are not here to stay. On the day digital cell phone service began in New York City, I was away from home at a three-day law conference. The day I returned home, I became dizzy. Within a few days, I was also nauseous, and I had uncontrollable tremors. I had the first asthma attack of my life. My eyeballs felt like they were bulging out. My lips felt dry, fat, and puffy. I felt pressure in my chest, and the bottoms of my feet hurt. I became so weak, I couldn't lift a book. 
My skin became so sensitive I couldn't bear to be touched and I could hardly stand to wear my clothes. My head was roaring like a freight train. After the fourth day, I could not sleep or eat. During the sixth night, my larynx went into spasms three times. Each time that happened, I couldn't draw a breath in or out, and I thought I was going to die. I left home the next morning, never to return. This did not happen only to me or only to a few people. Beginning on November 14th, 1996, the day I'm... Omnipoint Communications, not omnipotent, Omnipoint Communications, turned on all of those cell towers. Hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers became suddenly ill. Many thought they were having a heart attack, a stroke, or a nervous breakdown. The health department called it an influenza epidemic. Sound familiar? And it lasted until the following May. They did not stop to wonder why it hit only New York and not any nearby cities at that time. Weekly mortality statistics from the Centers for Disease Control, which we know is a compromised agency, revealed a 17% rise in mortality in the city beginning the week of November 17th, lasting 11 weeks that killed 2,300 people. The epidemic did not hit Boston until the following year when Sprint began service there on November 12th, 1997. Mortality spiked by 15.5% for 16 weeks. It hit San Diego when Pacific Bell's service there on November 1st, 1996 lasted for 17 weeks and then raised mortality by 14.5%. It did not hit nearby Los Angeles until the following summer when Pacific Bell began service there on July 3rd, 1997, and mortality rose by 30% for the next 15 weeks. It hit Philadelphia in the spring when Sprint began service there on April 3rd, 1997, and Detroit in the fall when Sprint began service there on October 15th, 1997. It hit Jacksonville, Florida the previous fall when Powertel began service there on October 15th, 1996. It hit Chicago, Milwaukee, Austin, San Antonio, Fort Worth, Houston, Atlanta, Fresno, Spokane, Portland, Sacramento, Charlotte, and Tulsa, beginning in each city on the day digital cell phone service became available in that city. I learned in 1996 that power levels do not matter. After microwave radiation had nearly killed me in Brooklyn, after only six days of exposure, I was sure the radiation levels must be sky high. And I hired a professional engineer, Stuart Maurer, M-A-U-R-E-R, to go to my house with his spectrum analyzer to measure the radiation. I came down for the day from my motel room in upstate New York to watch him. To my astonishment, The highest level he measured anywhere in my house was 0.0001 microwatts per square centimeter. Clearly, I still had a lot to learn about microwave radiation and had many things I thought and, and many things I thought I knew were wrong. The same thing is happening now with 5G. Only this time, instead of blaming an influenza virus, society is blaming a coronavirus. And this time, it is happening everywhere at once instead of one city at a time. On October 13th, 2020, Verizon issued a press release 
announcing the availability of its 5G network throughout the United States. And on the same day, Apple issued a press release announcing the launch of its 5G phone, the iPhone 12. The iPhone 12 and 12 Pro were available in stores October 23rd. And the iPhone mini and Max were available in early November. And in every state except two, mortality began to suddenly rise the week of October 24th or soon after. And not later than the, le- than, than the week of November 21st. The two exceptions were Wisconsin, where the mortality spike began the week of October 17th, and Hawaii, which did not have a significant rise in deaths last winter. Nationally, mortality rose an average of 25% for 20 weeks, and 300,000 people died. It's happening everywhere at once, also to birds, insects, wildlife, and plant life. A correspondent in Knoxville, Tennessee, wrote to me last week, quote, These past couple of months, I've noticed five bumblebees now on our flowers that have appeared paralyzed to me. We unfortunately have Verizon's 5G ultra wideband very close to our home, which is only available outside, and I think they are being impacted by that. We brought four of them into our house, each at different times, and three of the four revived within about five minutes. So I then released them back outside. The fourth one took a little over an hour to revive before it was able to fly off, end quote. Another observer in East Dover, Vermont, wrote a couple of days ago, quote, We grow three acres of black currants, 200 blueberry bushes, 11 varieties, and a smattering of other novelty berry plants. Our small farm is certified organic with eight open acres certified, only three planted, and the remainder of the 31 acres is wooded. The black currants are early bloomers, and our four varieties all bloom within a few days of each other. There are so many different pollinating insects that come to the fields, including a certain type of bumblebee with a red middle. It is wondrous to see and hear all the different shaped insects noisily working away. This spring, as I walked down the rows and admired all the blossoms in the front field, I suddenly stopped because it was almost completely quiet. There were two bumblebees among the 2,225 black currant bushes, and their buzzing was so noticeable because everything was so silent. When I mentioned this to a fifth-generation apple farmer, he said that not only were there no pollinators this year, the timing of everything was off. For example, his asparagus was two weeks early. Ours was too. Compared with 2020, our black currants blooming times were two weeks earlier this year. It was a cold spring, but I would think that would delay blooming. It was a cold spring, but I would think that would delay blooming. There are a couple things that make Lyme disease, and more specifically, the spirochete bacteria, Borrelia burgdorferi, particularly hard to treat. The first is that it's known as the great imitator, meaning that it mimics the symptoms of 200 other conditions. So a lot of times people 
think they've got thyroid disorder or adrenal problems or chronic fatigue or a whole host of other stuff going on, rheumatoid arthritis, when in reality they have a low-level chronic bacterial infection. The testing is notorious for producing false negatives. So a lot of people will get a Lyme test that only has maybe a 30% uh, accuracy level and they'll get a negative test result and then they'll go looking elsewhere and spend years or even decades going down the wrong path. And last but not least, the bacteria has this spirochete form, which means it's able to bury in our central nervous system, our brain, our connective tissue, and a lot of the most effective commonly known treatments for Lyme disease like blood ozone, ultraviolet blood radiation, IV light therapy combined with uh, intravenous um, vitamins, and then you have the herbal protocols like the Bunner protocol, the Cowden protocol, etc. A lot of times these get people results for a few months or even a few years, but they're unable to effectively get into the connective tissue and the central nervous system and get rid of the spirochete bacteria that are kind of hibernating there. And then it comes back. Well, Clinic St. George in Bad Eibling, Germany has developed a breakthrough treatment that they discovered almost on accident while helping people with cancer. It's called extreme whole body hyperthermia. And based on the 1927 Nobel Prize, they found that when you heat the body up in a safe and controlled medically supervised setting to 107 degrees for a period of two hours and maintain it there, you're able to wipe out uh, the Borrelia bacteria. And then when you follow it up with intravenous laser therapy and IV riboflavin, you're able to knock out the co-infections like Bartonella and Babesia that otherwise are able to maintain a foothold because you've got the Lyme bacteria, the Borrelia, suppressing the immune system. So if you or someone you know is dealing with cancer or Lyme disease, the St. George Clinic in Bad Eibling, Germany has helped over 25,000 people with cancer and now over 2,500 people with Lyme disease. And it's the most effective treatment modality that I'm aware of for helping with chronic Lyme, especially if you've tried a lot of the other things out there. And if you want more information, you can go online to their website, which is Clinic St. George. You can just Google that. That's probably the easiest way to find it. But their website, I'll spell it out for you. It's K-L-I-N-I-K-S-T-G-E-O-R-G.D-E slash E-N slash. That'll give it to you in English. And it's Clinic St. George in Bad Eibling, A-I-B-L-I-N-G, Germany. And I just did a podcast with their medical director, Dr. Dows. It's, I believe, episode 215 of the Biohacking Secrets show. So check that out if you are interested. And please pass this along to anyone who may benefit from it. All right. Thank you. Back to the episode. So that's another reason why the insects weren't around yet. Two weeks is a huge amount of time. The blueberries were also generally early, and the usual succession of blooms through the varieties was altered. The next day, I raced over to Forever Wild, a honeybee farmer, and secured a pallet of four hives. 
It was too cold for them to fly, and they stayed in their hives in the middle of a gorgeous bloom of black currants. Apparently, bumblebees will fly when it's in the low 50s, but honeybees need it to be at least 59 degrees. The honeybee farmers said they pollinate one quarter of the whole state, Vermont, and that all the guys up north, mostly apples, were talking about the same thing. No pollinators and specifically no bumblebees. Another curiosity this year was the fact that we had very few Japanese beetles. This could be because it was an extremely wet year, but it is interesting to note that the beetles and bumblebees both winter underground. Also, when I visited my parents in September in Concord, Massachusetts, my mother pointed out how all of the oaks had dark spots on them. All of our tree leaves have the same spots here in southern Vermont, and especially on the beach and quaking aspens. I planted our first berry plants in 2014, so I don't have a vast wealth of personal experience owning and running a farm, but I hope to continue my observations and plan on recreating that experiment with aluminum screening that Katie Haggerty did, except with black currants. End quote. A naturalist in Greece, Diana Cordes, K-O-R-D-A-S, wrote in October from the island of Samos, S-A-M-O-S, in the eastern Mediterranean, quote, I live in the country a few kilometers from the capital town of Samos, Vathi, which sits at the end of a large bay and opposite the tourist village of Kokari, K-O-K-K-A-R-I. In July of, of this summer, 2021, a pilot 5G cell tower was turned on above Kokari. This cell tower is across the bay from us. One of its two panels points directly at us, and it is at the same height above sea level as our property. It is approximately six kilometers away. Where we live, we are surrounded by cell towers and boosters, 14 in total, operating at 2G, 3G, and 4G frequencies. There's been a gradual Dim, diminu, diminution, diminution, D-I-M-I-N-U-T-I-O-N, I'm guessing that's just decrease, <laughs> diminution of insect and bird life in the past few years, especially since 2014 when 4G came here. Many species are affected. We lost the last of the fireflies. We used to have many two summers ago. It has been years since we had a bug splattered on the windshield of the car as we drove along. <laughs> How heartbreaking. <laughs> but since that 5G cell tower across the bay went live, we have lost nearly all of the pollinators and a great deal more besides. In the early part of the summer, we had a great many pollinators. Bumblebees, honeybees, many sorts of wild bees, carpenter bees, wasps of all kinds, and hoverflies. We tend to notice them as we grow all of our own fruit and vegetables. Our early summer crops were pollinated without any problem, but melons, tomatoes, and zucchini, which we planted in early July, have produced very little fruit as they did not get many pollinators, though there were many blossoms. Not a single Corgette has been pollinated, and the tomatoes produced only three fruits. The melons, 
not as many as we would have expected, seem to have been pollinated by tiny night-flying moths. We own three and a half acres of land, which is a big property for the island. It has many large trees, pines, cypresses, carobs, wild pistachio, olives, almonds, and a grove of extremely rare gum mastic trees, and some fruit trees like apricots, plums, and prayers, pears, <laughs> as well as fields of grasses and wild plants. I should note here that we do not use pesticides of any sorts, and we do not have any adjoining neighbors who may use any pesticides. Also, most of the land surrounding us is wild, both up in the mountains and down in the sea. Our own land has never had any pesticides, and I would say the same is most likely true for most of the land around us. This is not a pesticide problem. We also keep our land as wild as possible, and except for the plots we cultivate, the wild, the wild plants are allowed to grow freely grasses, flowers, many orchids, and a lot of wild fennel. There are many bushes and hedges. I don't know the English names for these plants. Many of the trees are over 100 years old, and some of the cypresses are over 300 years old. When planting, we tend to intercrop and also plant flowering basils and zinnias, which attract pollinators, among other plants. We also put out saucers of water for them to drink from. Bees get thirsty. We usually get lots of bees, butterflies, hoverflies, wasps, etc., of many species, and we've had many pollinators until recently. The decline began in July when the tower went live. The bees and other pollinators, and indeed most of the insects, are now almost all gone. We know this for several reasons. One is what we see or don't see on the vegetable beds. One is what we are seeing generally or not seeing, which is hardly anything. And most importantly, is what we are not seeing on the carob trees. Every year at this time, the male carob flowers abundantly draw in hundreds of pollinators, bees of all sorts, wasps, hornets, and hoverflies. You can't go anywhere near these trees without being aware of a loud buzzing, and insects are busy on them all day. The trees bloom for about a month. They're in full flower, and to date, there has been virtually nothing on them. One bumblebee, one honeybee, a few hornets, a few flies of different species, a couple of tiny wild bees. We check many times a day, every day. This is not due to the weather either. Since the carob trees went into flower, we have had a variety of weather patterns from strong northerly winds to fairly strong southerlies interspersed with a good many still days. It has rained once. The temperatures are about average for this time of year. Wind or no wind, warm or cool. There are virtually no pollinators on the carobs. One day, we also checked for bees on every male carob we could find between here and Kokari, and we couldn't find any insects on any other flowering carob or any insects at all except a few flies. The flowering carobs are a good indicator of pollinators because they attract so many. Certain plants are good for this, like Traveler's Joy, Cat's Claw, 
a thorny climbing vine, which has very sweet smelling flowers and blooms in this season. We haven't seen any pollinators on them either. And onion flowers, which will attract every type of wasp and hornet there is, but not bees. We do not have onion flowers at this time, but on past occasions when we, when we have had, we got large numbers of wasps and hornets, including species we did not recognize. On our land, as I write this, we have lost not only bees, but all sorts of other insects. Beetles of all sorts, including cockchafers? Come on. It is C-O-C-K-C-H-A-F-E-R-S, cockchafers. They said it, not me. And ladybirds, web-spinning spiders, mantises, moths, and butterflies. We always get great clouds of graylings on the pines in July and August, but hardly any this year. Dragonflies of all sorts, grasshoppers and crickets. October is the season for dragonflies, and we presently have the warm, still weather where they arrive by the thousands. This year, we have maybe one one-hundredth of the usual number. We have a few hornets, not nearly as many as usual, horseflies far fewer than usual, and flies, which seem of all the insects to be the least affected. Probably because they breed like crazy. I don't know. I can't back that up. I don't know how I don't know how much the flies bang, <laughs> but it seems like they like with garbage and things like that. You can get a fry, a fly problem real quick. We still have mosquitoes, but I believe the reason for this is that they breed in our cistern, which has stone walls two feet thick and a cement roof. It is protected from the electromagnetic fields. The mosquitoes get in through the overflow pipe and tiny gaps in the stones that cover the drain holes. Our neighbor, who has an open-topped cistern, had thousands of mosquito larvae in the water and a big mosquito problem earlier in the summer. She now has no mosquitoes. I checked, and there are no larvae in, larva in the water of this cistern anymore. I can only think that the 5G cell tower has caused these things to happen because nothing else accounts for the sudden severe drop in the number of insects here. The tower went live in July, and the losses we are seeing have happened since July. I also think that we are seeing a drop in the number of small rodents, rats, mice, and voles. We are not losing fruit and vegetables to mice or rats, which we always do. Also, on a wild bit of land like this, one tends to find traces of them or to catch tails whisking away in the beam of a torch at night or to hear them. Tree rats can be quite noisy, and it seems they too are gone or going. My neighbor keeps finding dead rats, yet he never poisons them, so they didn't die from that. We are also seeing changes in animal behavior. We feed a number of golden jackals, which are having problems hunting due to a lack of wildlife in the area. The Bay of Samos is, we are already surrounded by many cell towers and boosters in addition to the new 5G cell tower and wildlife, including insects and birds, has been declining for years. However, over the past few weeks, the number of jackals coming to us has tripled and they are exhibiting symptoms of extreme anxiety following us around in the evenings and now starting to appear in the daytime as well. They are primarily nocturnal. These are wild animals that we do not treat as pets, 
but some of them are becoming positively clingy, approaching to within several feet and sitting for periods of time just a few feet away. Some of them, which were not aggressive before, have started becoming very aggressive with other jackals, and fights are always breaking out. The area is always experiencing problems with wild boar, which are also looking for food. We have had several too close encounters with these large and dangerous animals, which are also appearing at times when they shouldn't before sunset and digging up large portions of our land at night. I was charged by one. I was charged by one. And so was my husband. Many people are seeing them in daytime and they have dug up gardens, groves, and the sides of the road. This has never happened before. Bird numbers are diminishing. We still have got fairly large numbers of great tits and Sardinian, I'm so immature, and Sardinian wobblers, which tends to stick to the deep cover of thick hedges and large trees. But we have lost all of the chiff chaffs and chiff and chaff finches. We have a few blackbirds, but it is but it's but it is a long time since we have seen a song thrush or a wren. The robins have not arrived from further north, though they should have by now. We have a pair of tawny owls, but little owls have disappeared. We get jays and crows, a few ringneck doves diminishing, and wood pigeons, which have become few in number lately. Gull numbers, yellow-legged gulls, are falling, and the shags which were always on the beach below our land, have disappeared entirely. We're getting fewer raptors. What is this, Jurassic? All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> what is this, Jurassic Park? Terrible, terrible joke. I'm going to blame that on the four-day fast and the tequila. We're getting fewer raptors. We, are usually, we usually have sparrowhawks, Eleonora, Eleonora's falcons, goshawks, buzzards, and short-toed eagles, but they are avoiding this area now, though we see them elsewhere as well as ravens. We have seen virtually no migrating birds in this area this fall. A few flycatchers, a couple of red-backed shrieks, S-H-R-I-K-E-S, shrikes, and a flock of little gulls flying out to sea is all. We have heard but didn't see a flock of bee-eaters which didn't stop here as they usually do. In conclusion, cell towers in general have diminished the number of insects and pollinators in this area, along with the bird numbers and wildlife generally. The new 5G cell tower has had a devastating effect in a very short time, but it is impossible to know the full consequences until next spring at the earliest. End quote. Those of you who remember car windshields splattered with insects, gardens ablaze with butterflies and abuzz with bees, loud choruses of crickets on land and of frogs in ponds and thick flocks of songbirds singing their joy at life will understand what I'm about to say. Cell phones are not here to stay. Whether people will willingly give them up is another option. If people will willingly give up cell phones, the sudden and dramatic improvement in everyone's health and sense of well-being 
and the return of all of our lost and disappearing cousin species who are still trying to share the earth with us will restore hope to the human species and catalyze other changes that will suddenly become possible. Most importantly, the ending of the mining and the use of fossil fuels, which are converting the oxygen in our air to carbon dioxide, acidifying our oceans, polluting our rivers, lakes, streams, and groundwater, and filling oceans, land, atmosphere, and ourselves with particles of plastic. If people do not willingly give up cell phones, then our planet does not have long to live, and cell phones will die with the earth. In either case, they are not here to stay. Please join me in working toward the restoration of our home. If you have not yet signed it, sign the International Appeal to Stop 5G on Earth and in Space. I'm going to repeat that again. The International Appeal to Stop 5G on Earth and in Space. Just Google it or use Swiss Cow, which is a pretty good search engine. If your organization has consultation status at the United Nations and has the ability to formally submit this appeal to the, to the United Nations, please get in touch with me. If your organization opposes 5G and you have not yet done so, please contact me at info at cell phone task force.org that's info at cell phone task force.org about signing the amicus brief supporting our case in the supreme court please download save and share part one part two and part three of this series they're all available at biohackerpodcast.com If you still own or use a cell phone, please throw it away now. And if you do not have a landline, get one. Guys, thank you so much for listening. That was written by Arthur Fistenberg, the author of The Invisible Rainbow. Grab his book, The Invisible Rainbow. And if you want to make a difference and have an impact on our planet, please sign the International Appeal to Stop 5G on Earth and in Space Email Arthur at info at cellphonetaskforce.org and share this episode along with episodes one and two with anyone that you think will resonate with this message. I'm Anthony DiClemente with Biohacking Secrets. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your time. I know it's valuable and I look forward to hanging out with you in another episode. What's up, guys? Anthony here. And one of my favorite things to do is helping men and women like you feel what it's like living life with the body you've always wanted and all day energy that starts the moment you wake up and doesn't quit. Over the past decade, we've created a proprietary health assessment that helps me to identify the unique toxicities and deficiencies that are holding you back from the life that you deserve. And what we've discovered in doing this now with thousands of CEOs, executives, professional athletes, businessmen, Hollywood celebs, and entrepreneurs is that there is always room for improvement and optimization. So if you're looking for help with this stuff and you'd like to see if you're a fit to work with me one-on-one, this program is usually full year-round with a waiting list, but we just had a few spots open up. 
And I wanted to make this available to the listeners of the Biohacking Secrets show first. So what you want to do if you want to apply is head over to biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. That's www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching, C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G. Fill out the short application form. And if you're pre-approved, you'll be given the opportunity to book a time to connect with someone on our team and see if it's a fit. Thank you so much for being a part of this community. I look forward to potentially going on this journey together. 